many, many, many years ago, it seems, when I was a child, the head of uh, my Sunday school um, war that I went to was uh, a woman that was called Kitty Irving. Uh, before she got married, she was called Kitty Douglas and uh, was known in the town as Kitty Doof. Uh, she was uh, a young woman, a bit um, younger than my mum, and she enjoyed music. Uh, I remember uh, she drove a Volkswagen Sirocco uh, those of you that know cars. And I, she, she watched over all that we did in, uh, in junior church. And uh, she particularly oversaw the times that we did musicals, not just the nativity at Christmas time, but uh, performances of things like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and also Captain Noah and his floating zoo. I, th I think there was another one, um, which was Swinging Samson, um, which I guess is, is an appropriate um, sort of title for that biblical character. Now, of course, that was how we saw her on a Sunday. But we also saw her, or at least some of us did, people that were my age saw her during the week because she was a primary school teacher. And indeed, when I was the age of my son now, she was my class teacher. So there it was always Mrs. Irving. And in school, she brought her faith. And she brought her humility. And she tried to encourage us uh, to develop uh, at one stage uh, our class, the, the top end of the primary school, um, did a huge uh, nativity performance, which we couldn't do in the, uh, in the school, and we had to go to the church to do it. And that included me singing solo. Now, this was before my voice broke. Um, it's probably not something to be encouraged. But she did encourage us on our journey. And uh, she, she got us to lead uh, an assembly, uh, a number of school assemblies. Uh, but one in particular that I remember was on the subject of humility. And uh, it wasn't a word that we were particularly uh, familiar with at the age of 10 or 11. Um, but in this assembly, she got us to, to sing a song, a country song, uh, by Mac Davis that had recently been in the charts. Uh, and it was called, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Some of you might even remember it, I don't know. And, and in that song, the egotist character sang of how wonderful he was. Though, of course, a deeper look at the lyrics would have revealed that uh, the character actually had no friends. And he'd lost his girlfriend. And he was far from being perfect 
far from being humble. And he was failing in life. Humility, as we understand it, is a great virtue. It, it's something that we long for. It's something that the singer of that song knew that they were supposed to have. He's saying, it's hard to be humble. I want to be humble. It's just hard. But it is something that is of value. And it is important to God. God has a form of preference for those who bow down. And the Bible frequently tells us this. Uh, The Lord sustains the humble. He crowns the humble with victory. He shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. It says in Psalms and Proverbs. Mary's song of joy declares he has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And then again in Luke's gospel, Jesus twice says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Yet despite such teaching, the wider population still couldn't grasp the idea of being humble. It wasn't a character trait of the time that people went out and sought to get for themselves. It wasn't something that they longed for. Being humble was the characteristic of a slave, a servant, someone that was told what to do, not that of someone who was free. But there's a difference between the slave and the one who has freedom. The slave has no option but to get down on their knees. They've got no option. They will be punished directly. They are told everything of what to do. We have freedom. We can choose whether we bow down, whether we put the other one first, or whether we think of ourselves. Do we think of everybody as just there a number out there? Or do we see them as people who are loved by God, people that we should love, people that we are willing to sacrifice something for? In this letter, the Philippian church are not getting a telling off in the way that Paul writes to some of the other churches. They're quite a different bunch of folk from those who are in Corinth or maybe Ephesus. It's not harsh words that Paul is teaching them about humility with. But he's trying to bring a sense of gentleness and kindness, the sort of characters that we ourselves are supposed to take on board. He's trying to get the church to consider who they are, who they are called to be, not putting themselves first, but one together with others. 
the first members of this fellowship in Philippi uh, were quite a diverse group of characters. You might remember them from Acts chapter 16. There was Lydia, the dealer in purple cloth. There was the young slave girl who had soothsaying powers and Paul got so annoyed with her going round saying, he's speaking about God, he is, that he casts the demon out. And then, of course, there was the jailer who almost commits suicide when he mistakenly thought his prisoners, Paul and Silas, had escaped. But Paul and Silas were still sat there in the ruins of the collapsed jail. The Philippi church had been an oddball bunch. But they were people who loved God, who wanted more. And they continued to grow in numbers after Paul had moved on. They had sent him gifts to Rome, to where he was in uh, a prisoner. And it's with that in mind that uh, the apostle writes this letter partly as a thank you. saying, I know who you are, but give thanks for you. But encourages them to continue to grow because whoever we are, however long we have known the Lord, whether we've just met him for the first time this day or whether it has been a long lifetime, 70, 80, 90 years, we can always grow more. And so he writes and encourages them in response to the encouragement that they have given him through their offering. And he asked them to explore. You know, what is it you can do? How can you move forward? And suggests a way for them to do this. And I guess in some ways that's what we'll do in church meeting. We, um, as we meet this Thursday, we will do part of the CSUA uh, Mission and Church Health Check, which challenges us to think of who we are and who we're called to be. How do we serve the Lord in this place? The Philippi church were faithful people. People that we would maybe long to be like ourselves. They are not a church that has gone after false gods. They have not gone pursuing sexual immorality like some of the uh, churches that uh, Paul had seen and founded. But he wants them to be a more effective witness. And we always can develop and grow and become more effective in how we shape our faith. Last week, we heard that if we have love for one another, then people will see that we are Christians. Paul is taking this to the next step now and saying that if we know God's love, then we should respond with humility. And with humility, we will grow as one fellowship, as a group with one mind. 
Paul's teaching here is that we seek not what we want as individuals, but what's right for the others. And as we put others first, our fellowship grows. And as our fellowship grows, as our understanding of one another grow, and the needs of one another grow, then a common direction is discerned. And as a church, we move forwards. When there is adversity or some great task, there is often a sense of working for a common purpose, a growth of community spirit. And the last few days, we've seen that on the news, haven't we? As the wind and the snow has swept across the country, what we've heard of is how volunteers in lowland and mountain rescue have been out on hillsides rescuing people stranded in their cars. We've seen images of farmers and of the military and of other folk in four-wheel drives transporting doctors and nurses and people to the places that they have to be. There have been reports of how the emergency services have worked long hours and then slept on the floor in their buildings, ready to serve again the next day. Of people going beyond what would normally be expected. But it doesn't require adversity for fellowship and community to grow. It doesn't need the blitz to come for that blitz spirit to be encouraged. What it needs is everybody to pause and consider not oneself and what one needs, but what the other needs. What does the person next to me, the person that's disadvantaged, the person that's being challenged in some way, what do they need? The example of Paul is someone determined to go and preach the gospel, even if he is arrested for doing so. He doesn't do it to become famous. He doesn't do it to big up his ego. He doesn't do it to have people talk of him. But he does it so that the Lord becomes known. Paul's purpose was that all may hear the story of how Christ, the Son of God, himself, was humble. How he went to the cross for our sake. How the highest made himself the lowest. And having been as low as anyone could go, the Father lifted him to the heavenly throne and crowned him Lord of all. Indeed, the use of that title, Lord, for Jesus the Christ, drives home a message, particularly from Paul's place of captivity in Rome. It's about who we pay deference to, who we bow the knee before, that's why he is a prisoner. Paul's faith had challenged the earthly authorities. It's not a man 
commanding the legions and a huge empire whose feet that we should bow before. It's not a Roman emperor, Paul is saying with the use of the word Lord, that is the king of all creation. But the one who at birth was laid in the Bethlehem manger. When we use the title Lord for Christ, it not only praises God, but is a rejection of that emperor cult issue that existed back in the first century and still exists today where earthly rulers see themselves as God. There are times, I fear, that politicians in East and West have that sort of feeling about themselves as a Roman emperor did way back then, 2,000 years ago. Trying to raise themselves to a godlike status. And if not trying to put themselves directly in that role, trying to encourage their nation to see it as the greatest on earth, greater than any could ever be, and that the rest of the world is wrong to try and take advantage of them, to try and do anything different. There is no love in such ideas. There is no love in saying, I am better than you, that I am the greatest. The idea that we know better and can do without the other goes against the idea of servanthood and fellowship that Paul is trying to promote. It is not about number one being us, but about number one being God, and then others, and then finally ourselves. But we live in a culture that doesn't expect that. We live in a culture where fame is sought where wealth is celebrated. That is not who we are called to be. Instead, think of the other first. Grow in fellowship. Remember the Lord. For he was perfect in every way. But yet, made himself humble for us. Let us be his people, not our own people. Amen.